We start the show today with a COVID-19 story uh, that will hit home for a lot of families. My guest is Matt Dell. Matt is a Victoria father of two. He's the host of the Best Coast Political Podcast on BC Politics, which I recommend to you. And I'm, I'm pleased to welcome him to the show. Hey, Matt. Hey, how's it going, Mike? Thanks for having me. Matt, thanks a lot for coming on. Matt, you got a lot of attention on social media this week when you posted a story about your family. I know you're under quarantine right now, right, after you were exposed, potentially exposed to COVID through your kids. What happened? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we were exposed to COVID um, at, a, at a public park on the weekend where my kid was playing close uh, with, with another school friend. The kicker on this story is that this school friend uh, is part of, like, you know, one of the anti-vax, anti-mask families at our school, um, which we've known for, for the year. And it's been really frustrating, but, um, you know, sometimes you kind of let the guard down and whatever the boys, you know, we try not to bring them into the drama too much. And we we, we randomly bumped into these people at a, at a skateboard park with a lot of other families. And, you know, the kids are off doing their thing. And I guess they were too close. And uh, we were deemed high exposure. This family got diagnosed with COVID. Um, oh. or had COVID at the time. So yeah. we are now high risk and we are quarantining due to uh, an anti-masker family, which is incredibly frustrating. Okay, so this is a family that what, they'd been outspoken, that they didn't believe in masks or... or yeah, masks. that's right. So, I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's school, parents see them. Most parents wear masks in school. And there's a couple of parents who just show up every day with no masks and you kind of go, yeah. what are you doing? This should be allowed and... and because it's a small world, you know, you see social media posts uh, of these people, you know, this particular person has told others they're not getting vaccinated, masks are not fair, okay. so you kind of put the pieces together, and what are, what are the chances this is the same people who has, has got COVID, so... Yeah, okay, so they're an, anti-masker, anti-vaxxer, and then they end up getting COVID. Um, yeah, that's kind of, I don't know, I heard some people say a karma it, it can be an interesting thing, but... Uh, that's unfortunate that your that your your family's been dragged into this now. So so this was at a skateboard park. I mean, and like you say, and this is a tough spot for a parent. Like you don't want to tell your kids you can't play with that kid. Right? No, because you feel bad for the kids because they're just—I oh, yeah. don't know what their parents' decisions are—and they, you know, you see these kids at anti-vax rallies. Have you seen that? Yes. Parents yes. dragging them along, and the poor kids, like you know, so you feel you're kind of heartbreak for them a little bit, but um. You know, at the same time, this kid went to school and exposed a classroom full of people. So there was an exposure notice that we got there. Um, so I imagine there's a bunch of families at home right now. And the contract tracer said it's a, it's a very complex case with lots of, lots of uh, contacts, which I can imagine with an anti, anti-masker, they're, they're, not, they're not following the rules. So who right. knows who they've been in contact with? Okay, so your your child was playing with this other kid. At, you mentioned at a skateboard park, and were they, like, hanging out in pretty close yeah, proximity? that's right. You kind of you kind of stand beside a kid, and you you go do these lines together, and you you hang out for two hours side by side. Yeah, yeah. So, right. Um, okay. So you were the, and then after that, you were con you you received uh you were contacted by a contact tracer from the health authority. Is that what happened? No, this actually it's oh. even worse. Um, I wish we were, but no, we found out through uh, about a four chains of people. Um, this, this person, I think we're, we're expecting is not telling, was not planning on telling anyone. And we found out through about four chains of people, a yoga studio to a neighbor, to a friend. And then, and then we, that led us to text the person and say, Hey, what the hell is this true? And they, they admitted yes. So it's another concern I have with these people, you know, if, if, if they don't care about others, who are they telling? Like, are you required to tell people? Um, because we didn't hear it directly from the person, and my understanding is that's, that was quite common. 
Okay, talking to Matt Dell. He's a Victoria dad of two kids. He's the host of the Best Coast Political Podcast on BC Politics about his family's experience with uh, with COVID. Now, is anyone in your family sick right now, Matt, or how are you guys feeling? Not yet. So this was on Sunday, so I guess the yeah. symptoms can take a while to develop. So we're kind of the kids are home from school. You know, we're I'm a baseball coach. We're not we're missing six sessions of that, and we're just waiting. So far, we're feeling fine. But out of precaution, you have to quarantine for two weeks anyway, and I think there's a, a number of others who are doing the same. Um, thankfully, we're feeling good, but just just frustrating, you know? Like, yeah. my wife's off work for two weeks now, lots of things that we had on the go, and the kids are missing school. They're missing swimming lessons, which they'll probably fail, um, you know, and, which there was very good precautions in place for swimming and baseball. People were following the rules. So if if people can follow the basic rules, we're, we're going to be okay. What happened here is... We had a person who didn't really care about those rules, and I don't know how we're going to deal with that as a society because they're always going to be the weak link. Yeah, okay, so this is like a mandatory two-week quarantine. Is that correct? Like you were told by the health authority, look, you have to stay home for two weeks, mandatory? Well, yeah, my son was. So they said your son needs to stay in his bedroom for two weeks, and wow. he's an eight-year-old kid, so for, we actually put him in, locked him in the bedroom for half an hour, and he, he bawled his eyes out. Oh. He was just laying in bed, you know, in the fetal position crying. And so it's like, well, either we lock him in his room for two weeks <laughs> or or we let him out and we all, you know, possibly get COVID from him and and we have a family for two weeks. And after seeing him crying in his bed, you can't do that. That would have created so much trauma for him, right? So, yeah. so now we are all at home for two weeks, yes. Okay, and how many other families are going through a similar quarantine? Like you mentioned there was an exposure letter went out from the school. Is that right? That's right. The exposure yeah. letter went out to the school classroom. Now, my son is not in the, in the, is in the same, not in the same class here. So I'm not sure exactly how, what's going on with that school, with that classroom. Um, we've heard, you know, it, it's like, it's like a rumor mill at a small, at a small school, right? Everyone's heard this and that. And we've heard a number of people got, got are all told to stay home, but not all of them. So I'm, I don't huh. know. I can't comment on that really. Okay. Um, so you mentioned that this is a challenge, I guess, going forward. And there will always be people who won't want to take the vaccine for whatever reason, right? So, yeah. I mean, you're a guy who does political analysts. You do a politics, public policy podcast. I mean, what do you think about what how this could be done done better? Like, obviously, you think there's been some communication failures here on this, right? Yeah, this is a tough one. This is a really tough one. I don't know. I mean, I think there's a carrot or the stick approach. The carrot approach is offer money, offer lottery tickets, you enter your name for a million dollars. I don't yeah, think that's to get the vaccine. Policy. To get the vaccine, yeah. yeah. I, the problem is, is that then what if we get need a booster shot next year? For me, I'd be thinking, well, maybe I'll hold off until I get the lottery ticket. Or, you know, why yeah. not? Where this needs to be a civic duty issue. And I think the stick approach is better where maybe you can't renew your driver's license. Wow. Or maybe you can't get on a flight. Well, I'm not sure. You can't get into Rogers Arena um, because the you are you are causing a risk going into a plane or, or an arena. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not expert, but I think there's a risk on, on creating an, an unfair expectation that you need a right. reward to, to do something. Like we're adults who are, are should be giving back to society. Right. But right. I'm interested to hear your show later on that. I'd love to hear the ideas. The million-dollar jackpot idea, you know, that's not too bad, actually. Yeah, we'll be talking about that at the, at the bottom of this hour. So just one more question before I let you go here, Matt. So I, I hope you and your family uh, stay healthy here. And you, you, despite this exposure, you, you don't obviously don't get it. And I hope that's the outcome for you. Um, have you and your wife been uh, vaccinated? 
Well, my wife was vaccinated a couple months ago because she's a healthcare worker. I actually only got vaccinated last weekend, so my vaccine huh. was um, only seven days old. Okay. Uh, I got the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, so I don't know, you know, who knows if we if we get COVID or not. Hopefully not, but it, we'll see if yeah. this vaccine holds up and does anything. But I mean, please get vaccinated. Like, wear a mask on school property. There's literally, there's no excuse for parents to be showing up without out masks. I mean, this is still real implications here for families. We're not out of this yet. Yeah. I wish we were, but we're not. Get vaccinated. I think government's been doing a good job overall at making sure there's vaccines available, but we've got to follow the rules. So, you know, I'm hoping for the best. Okay, Matt, good luck to you and your family. Thanks for sharing the story today. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the vaccine rollout now. I think the large majority of people are ready, willing, and able to get the vaccine as soon as it's available. But what about vaccine ambivalence? What about people who don't want to get the vaccine or they're hesitant or whatever reason they may have for not wanting to get the vaccine? We see the rates of vaccinations in some other jurisdictions beginning to wane, notably in the United States. We see some states... The rates of vaccines starting to slow down as they get to the last cohort of people who just don't want to get the vaccine or they're ambivalent about it. How do you get people to get this vaccine so we get up to herd immunity and get beyond this pandemic? Well, some jurisdictions are looking at incentives. Just give people a reason to go and get the vaccine. How about the million-dollar lottery they brought out in Ohio? That's an interesting idea. What about free beer, free donuts? Yeah, they've done that in other jurisdictions, too. How about cold, hard cash? You get the shot in your arm, you get cash in your hand. Is that a good idea? Should we pay people to get the vaccine? Let's discuss now with my guest, Brian Dykema. He's the Vice President of External Affairs at Cardis, which is a think tank in Canada. has an interesting new paper out on this, and I'm very pleased to welcome him. Hey, Brian, thanks for coming on. Is he there? Hey, Brian. I'm here. Okay, yeah, Brian. I'm here. Can, can, yeah, I'm here. Thanks okay. for having me. Thank you for being here. Brian, give me, the, uh, give me your pitch here for paying people to get the vaccine. How would this work? Well, I think the first pitch is it's going to help you and it's going to keep you safe. So let's, uh, let's start focus on that one first. There's good personal reasons. Um, but the next thing is that we're only going to get out of this thing together. And as you said at the beginning, um, we need to get as many people vaccinated as possible. I think BC is at 49% right now. And it's always the last few percent that are the hardest to get and what we're saying is let's provide people with an incentive to get that vaccine what we want to do is provide everybody who gets a vaccine with 60 to 90 dollars that's two or three times the median hourly wage in canada to get the vaccine with a gift card to local businesses in association with chambers of commerce or uh, with a gift card that they can be give to local charities through an organization like canada helps what we want Mm. to do is is not just appeal to people's self-interest, but to craft an incentive that will make people want to get this last thing, that will provide them with something that they themselves can benefit from, but that will also have a benefit to the broader community, which is exactly what's going on with, with vaccines. So it's a win-win-win, it's affordable, and we think the time is right. Let's do it before we start hitting a, a vaccine wall. Okay, why? what about people who have already received the vaccine? Like, I've already received my first shot. Would people get the money retroactively under this plan? Well, the way we're way our proposal is shaped is that you get it when you get the second shot, right? Okay. So that's, um, that's what we want, because the second shot is when you've got the strongest immunity. I think it's early enough. There are, there are a few people who have gotten their second shot and be very happy to, to give that out retroactively. But I think we're at a point now where 
There are very few people who have gotten their second shot. This will provide yeah. the incentive to finish it off and for those who have been waiting on the sidelines to get out there and make it happen. Okay, why do you think it would be a good idea to do that? Like when we take a look at the vaccination rates across the country so far, like most people are anxious and willing to, to get the vaccine, but you're worried about, like you said, those last few percents. I mean, are, is there any indication or, or, or indication or, or evidence that that last cohort of people who are hesitant there could be a problem? Yeah, so, I mean, there is some uh, in other jurisdictions, United yeah. States, not just elsewhere, but you do, it's always that last 20% that's the hardest to bring in the boat. And there's, right. there's also not just the negative evidence that people are hesitant, there's evidence that incentives actually drive up uptake. In Australia, when they introduced uh, incentives for um, in vaccines like measles, mumps, rubella, TB, and all the rest of that stuff, vaccine uptake went to 90%. And if we have 90% vaccine wow. uptake on the COVID, um, we can beat this thing. And I, and I think that's the important thing to keep people, you know, to give people, we are on the edge of beating this pandemic. We are on the edge of getting back to our normal lives, to giving our family hugs, to getting together for beers and restaurants and having a good time. And we say, okay, let's do that. Let's actually appeal to those things that people want with this incentive. And we think this, this one, this one will work. Okay, well, that sounds like they had some good success in Australia. What did they do in Australia to achieve that? What kind of incentives were offered there? So they offered incentives in terms of uh, maternity benefits in certain places. Uh, so in a sense, a, a cash transfer as well, done through the tax code and, and in other ways through there. And wow. the, the results were tremendous. I mean, there was a study that was done prior to Australia introducing it, and they studied the introduction of incentives, whether it was direct cash transfers or other other recommendations through gift cards or what have you. And almost all of the studies showed that vaccine incentives uh, increase uptake. And that's what we're looking for here. The one thing yeah. that we noted is that where incentives don't work is if they're marketed in terms of a compensation, right? So this is a bad thing and we're going to compensate you for it. Where they work best is where the incentives are shaped and directed towards helping the broader community. And that's mm. why we're targeting the local business community and charities Local businesses have seen their revenues decline by up, upwards of 30% for large portions of them. Charities have seen their revenues go down 30%. And so what we're saying is give an incentive that can give back to the community. Hmm. By, by, by getting a vaccine, you're helping yourself, but you're also helping the community, what, what economists would call externalities. And we're saying let's shape the vaccine incentive in the same way, that it's community-focused and that it reflects the fact that we've got to get this through this thing together. Okay. Uh, there's other jurisdictions that are bringing out all kinds of different incentives, Brian, as you know. Let me play a clip here for you. This is Mike DeWine. He is the governor of Ohio, and a lot of people may have heard about the Vaximillion Lottery. You get the shot in Ohio, you're entered into a lottery to win a million bucks. Here he is announcing that. Two weeks from tonight, on May 26th, we will announce a winner of a separate drawing for adults adults who have received at least their first dose of the vaccine. This announcement will occur each Wednesday for five weeks, and the winner each Wednesday will receive $1 million. Okay, as the governor of Ohio there, get the shot, win a million bucks. Here's Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, talking about free baseball tickets if you get the shot. If we have it. Okay, well, we'll see if we can... Li we have the Andrew Cuomo clip. Let's play it. Get your vaccine at the game. You're going to the game anyway. It's on your way. Stop and get a vaccine. 
And if you get a vaccine, you get a free ticket to a Yankees or a Mets game okay free tickets to the yankees or the mets what do you think of these ideas brian i mean you're talking about straight up cash payments to people with a gift card what do you think of these other ideas well on the one hand i love it i love anything that's going to get uh, get us anything that's voluntary that's going to get us more vaccines right, so on the one hand great a few a few issues though one is i think these types of approaches are still appealing to people's self-interest and that's shown yeah. that, that if there are any challenges with incentives, it's the fact that people see these types of things as, as compensation. They can be actually viewed that way, can actually have a negative impact on, on the actual vaccine uh, uptakes. The other challenge is only one person gets it. There's the Vax a million. If you get that, only one person actually gets the reward, and the rest of the people just get a chance. But I think the most important one, Mike, is that it doesn't really build solidarity. It doesn't actually capture what, we, what we're doing here, which is a big collective effort to beat this damn plague. Let's get this thing done together. And sorry about the French there. I, I apologize. No, that's <laughs> let's, quite get all right. this thing done, let's get this thing done together. And I think our proposal, what it actually does is it encourages people to get out into the communities and start giving to those people who've been hit hardest. So if you get a $60 gift certificate, I don't know about you, but when I go to the restaurant to spend that at, at a local business, local restaurant, I'm probably not just going to spend my 60 and get out of there. What I'm probably going to do is order an extra beer or two. So what ends up yeah. happening is that you actually start contributing even a little bit more to those that have been hit hardest. If you're going to give to a charity and you say, look, I'm going to give 60, and a little, a little thing comes up and says, well, why not just give 100? It's shown that people will actually give more. And what, what you're doing then is actually building solidarity in the community while also providing the personal benefit. And we think that's the ideal situation um, because this is, community, this is a community problem, and we're only going to get through it together as okay. a community. How much would it cost? Like you're talking about a gift card that's 60 to 90 bucks per person, so that adds up yep. pretty quickly. What would be the total price tag? Yeah, so there's about 4.27 uh, British Columbians over the age of 18, so that's where we'd be aiming it. So the total cost for the program is 256 to 384 million. Now, you in, might Br- say, in oh, British Columbia. In British Columbia, okay. across the country, it's it's around 2.1 to 3.1 billion. And you might say, oh no, come on, we're already spending billions of dollars. But when you compare it to the cost of continuing longer with the pandemic and continuing the expenditures for things like the wage subsidies and CERB, it is a drop in the bucket. We have already spent over $100 billion on wage subsidies alone during the pandemic. And if we can do this, this $256 million is the highest value, low cost proposal you can do. Um, and now is the time to do it. We have people who are on there. We want to keep this momentum going. And, and quite frankly, it's, it's cheap and it's effective. It's good policy. What about, uh, like, if, if you get up to, like, 90% vaccinated, like, how, how high do you got to get to achieve herd immunity? Like, does it matter if a handful of people don't get it? Well, there is, yeah, I mean, not, you don't have to have 100% of the people doing yeah. it. I mean, obviously, 100% is the best, um, but that's what we want to drive. We want to drive that number up as high as possible so that we can eradicate any chances of this thing coming back. We want, the, as, as is always the case with vaccines, if 100% of the people take it, that's ideal. Um, you don't need 100%, but let's, let's push towards that. Thank you for coming on to talk about it today. Mike, thanks for having me. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, you bet. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about Canadian snowbirds now flocking back to Canada with the warm weather approaching here at home. Tim, you got a little uh, Anne Murray there? Spread your tiny wings and fly away. There she is, yes. And take the snow back with you every Okay, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. 
Uh, how do you not love her, though, Anne Murray, Canada's sweetheart there? I think she's awesome. Okay, the Canadian snowbirds winging back to Canada now. The weather getting warmer here. And a lot of them are finding ways to avoid spending three days in a government-mandated quarantine hotel. If you take a look at the taxi and limo services in American border towns, man, business is booming. Canadian snowbirds arriving there and driving across the border instead of flying into Canada so they avoid that three-day or that uh, that quarantine in a hotel in Canada. Let's discuss this now with my guest, Valerie Crook, Simon Fraser University geography professor. She studies the snowbirds, and I'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show. Valerie, thank you for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And I just have to say, I really appreciated that musical interlude into our segment. How do you not love Anne Murray? Come on, she's great. You know what? I have to say, I've never thought about that song in relation to the research that I do, and now I will never be able to unconnect the two. Okay, I'm very sorry that I did that to you. (laughs) I put the the earworm in your head. Okay. (laughs) Yes, Um, exactly. So, Valerie, let's talk about the snowbirds uh, flying back to Canada right now. Uh, how many people are we talking about here? I mean, these are Canadians who typically will, will in the wintertime, will go to places like, what, Arizona, Florida? Yeah, you know, there's a number of, you know, popular snowbirds for, or snowbirds, sorry, popular destinations for Canadian snowbirds. Obviously, places in the southern part of the United States are those that are most popular. So you already mentioned, you know, Arizona, California, um, of course, Florida is being another very popular destination. Um, and so, you know, a few months ago, people that are listening today might remember that actually there was a lot of coverage about snowbirds. I mean, typically in your average year, um, if you and I were talking about snowbirds, we'd be talking about like a bocce ball tournament or who won the bake off kind of contest. <laughs> you know, just uh, what I mean by that are human interest stories, you right. know, stories that really show our affection for this mobility that many older Canadians undertake um, and how much joy it brings into the lives of people who participate. Um, and meanwhile, of course, the pandemic has changed so much about people's lives, including, um, you know, plans to go abroad among older Canadians who typically do so annually. So a few months ago, you know, there was a lot of public discussion and even public anger uh, brewing up over recognition that there are actually many snowbirds who did decide to go abroad this year, despite the sort of the larger public requests for uh, people to not engage in any non-essential travel abroad. Um, and so it's not surprising that now, of course, we see snowbirds coming back in the news again because, of course, they're returning home. And here, what do yeah. we see some wider conversation happening about in this instance? It's how um, some snowbirds are looking to avoid the hotel quarantine um, upon their return and doing things like flying up to uh, towns that are close to the border and then being driven across or walking across the border um, and entering through the land border as opposed to the air border. Um, And I hope to say that this is not surprising to me because, in fact, many snowbirds, and I had a chance to talk to a number of snowbirds, uh, you know, following earlier media correspondence where people reached out to me. You know, many of them felt like they were doing things that they felt were safe and they were protecting their health by going abroad um, in some of their opinions because they were, you know, living in a place where they could live life more comfortably, um, have a kind of social networks that they were familiar with, etc., Um, And so, again, I don't think it's surprising that here we see them trying to kind of circumvent creatively the um, hotel quarantine measures that have been put in place. Okay, it's very interesting. Let's, uh, Valerie, describe for the listeners here the the rules, like how the rules work here. So if you fly into Canada, Mm -hmm. that's when the mandatory hotel quarantine kicks in, right? That is exactly it. Yeah. 
So, but it does not apply if you cross the land border. Exactly. Why is that? Why is there a difference there? Well, you know, this is actually a point of concern for many people that have been critical of the the travel health and border measures that have been put in place. We effectively have a two-tier system that allows for what we could call kind of loopholes to emerge, where in this case we see thousands of Canadians that are returning after spending months abroad who are doing so creatively by walking across the border or being driven across. Um, You know, the rationale for this One of the suggestions is that, um, you know, the land border is only open for essential travel. Many of the people that are crossing for essential travel include, for example, truck drivers, where, you know, a three-day quarantine has obviously a significant negative impact on um, the financial health of all kinds of sectors. Um, As well, you know, when you think about flying into an airport, you know, most major airports have hotels right beside them or right near them. That's not the same for border crossings. You know, if you kind of picture some of the borders that you've crossed to, you know, many in British Columbia, um, you know, don't have that kind of infrastructure nearby to facilitate those arrangements. Here, I'm not at all trying to advocate for this two-tier system. This is just what's being put in place. And it allows people to kind of exploit these loopholes in order to avoid the three-day hotel quarantine um, and the cost. And we have to remember that part of what people are trying to kind of avoid is not just uh, perhaps the disruption in the routine of those three days, but also the cost because it is yes. out of pocket payment. Right, and it's like what twenty five hundred bucks or something. Well, so the government, um, when they first announced it, said that the cost is around $2,000. They were saying it's yeah. up to, um, and that it really depends on the price that's actually set by the hotel where you're staying. But, you know, as soon as it was put in place, you know, there was a lot of coverage of people uh, who actually did things like choose to walk out of the airport um, without actually following through on this yeah. and in, instead taking fines. Um, and then in this case, again, we talk about a group of people who many of whom really felt that they were doing things safely abroad. And also we have to remember as well that a number of the snowbirds who will be returning from the United States will be vaccinated, uh, potentially even with their second dose. Um, and so, again, these are people who feel like, uh, you know, they shouldn't necessarily be held to the same standard of somebody who's flying in for whom they don't have the um, household networks in order to kind of maintain a safe quarantine for two weeks in their house and therefore have to go into a hotel. Right. No, it is an interesting situation, and I don't think the program has been uh, all that well thought out or designed. But let me ask you about, um, let me play this here for you. Here's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and he was recently asked, why are there different rules here? Why is there a mandatory, very expensive hotel quarantine if you fly into the country, but a different set of rules for crossing the land border? And here's what Trudeau said about that. There is a fundamental difference between someone arriving at our land border versus someone arriving at an airport. Someone who arrives at our land border has been in the United States, has a PCR test from the U.S., even if they traveled internationally before because of U.S. quarantines, has been in the U.S. at least two weeks. Hmm. Okay, what do you think mm-hmm. of that? Um, everything that was said there is reasonably factual. I mean, he shared a number of facts in that answer, um, and I think that what still happening for many people is a lack of sort of the understanding, maybe in a less factual sense and in a more practical sense as to why we have this differentiation between uh, what's happening at a land border entry and what's happening by air border or sorry, airport. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, And so, you know, I, I know that this is part of what's driving, for example, people to kind of view, well, if I can avoid this one measure, then I'd like to do that in order to not be sort of put out financially. Um, but yeah, you know, like I said, what he said in there is, is factual, but I think that, you know, any one of us that hears that, we can all think of caveats where, wait a minute, there would be people that actually this would not apply to. Um, and there are also other risks that this strategy doesn't take into account, including, for example, people be- becoming exposed while they're traveling um, and how that actually would not be um, factored into right. this differentiation. You mentioned that for a lot of the BC seniors that, that you study, that many of them have, are, are vaccinated, uh, especially if they've been traveling, that they're vaccinated. And, and I wonder if you detect um, among seniors that they're itching to get back to normal here, maybe get those borders reopened so people can start traveling again. Is it, What are you hearing from seniors on that? Do you think they want the borders open? Yeah, I mean, certainly in relation to snowbirds who, you know, really are used to living a transnational life. So, you know, they're they're very used to the routine, the ebbs and flows of perhaps maintaining a residence here in B.C. and then seasonally opening up a residence, for example, in the southern part of the United States. Um, you know, many of them are still very concerned about the uncertainties they're facing. You know, there are you know, challenges in relation to maintaining a residence that you are actually not able to go to. And this is one of the things that many snowbirds have actually cried out about is that if we do own a residence in the United States, um, that this should be considered essential travel and that we are going to maintain a residence that we actually sort of own that needs our seasonal maintenance and that we'd like to be able to go and do that. And so there was advocacy by a number of snowbirds actually pushing on the Canadian Snowbird Association to really speak up and talk about the particular needs that Canadian snowbirds have. And, you know, this is one of the interesting things about this this particular group is that we don't really report how many people are snowbirds because it's really hard to have a very precise number. But this is a really large group. You know, even, for example, Statistics Canada estimated that potentially up to 1 million um, older Canadians go to the United States and Mexico alone. Mm -hmm. That's that's huge. Uh, Fascinating. Thanks for coming on with your thoughts on it today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you're most welcome. Enjoy the day. All right, welcome back. As we're talking Canada-U.S. border loopholes, Len Saunders joins me now. He's an immigration lawyer based in Blaine, Washington. Hey, Len. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. we got a few phone calls here. Let me ask you real quickly, though, first. uh, Do you see a lot of people using these loopholes, like flying into... Bellingham or points are near where you're based in Blaine and taking a taxi or limo across the border? Is a lot of that going on? Oh, absolutely. And it continues. Yeah. I get phone calls every day, people just making sure that these loopholes still exist, how yeah. to do it. I've become a part-time travel agent for many Canadians, it feels like. What do you think of that? Um, You know, it, it shows the inconsistencies of this whole border closure. It, yeah. It's ridiculous, right? Yeah, just, it is. It just never ends. Yeah, it is ridiculous. Let's take a few phone calls here, Len. Let's got Lucille on the line in Burnaby. Hi, Lucille. Oh, hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, it's not for lack of try because I have a property down just across the border and haven't been able to go down for all this length of time, year and a half or whatever. And, you know, when you're away, bad things happen to your property, and that's exactly what's happened to me. It continues to happen. I still can't get across. I've tried. I've phoned Washington, D.C., and I've contacted all the border crossings trying to get across as essential services because I have all the papers, all the proof, everything else, and all the pictures to prove that was going on over there. Still not able to come across. So I think rather than just saying, hey, I'm going across and somebody goes off and shop, 
I think mm. you've got to prove that you're going over there with all the proofs you should be able to get across as essential. Okay, Lucille, thank you for the call. Len, are you hearing from property owners, uh, Canadians who own property in the United States, frustrated they can't get down there? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, people who have places down in the desert, that's fine because they're going down for six months, and they'll make arrangements to fly and have their cars transported down by all these companies. But it's the people in Port Roberts and yeah. Birch Bay where I am, they just want to come over for the weekend. They want to look at their property. They don't want to have to fly over and come back and do the 14-day quarantine. So logistically, it's impossible for them to come down, you know, just to visit their property unless they want to stay for the summer. But most people don't want to do that. Yeah. Let's go to Trevor on the line of Victoria. Hey, Trevor. Hey, Mike. Uh, so if I, if I may, a couple of points. Uh, first one is snowbirds typically, uh, I'm one of them, uh, we typically go down in October, November, Okay, Trevor, you're breaking up on me, man. I'm sorry, but just try and call back. John and Comox. Hey, John. Hey, Michael. Good morning. I Hi. just want to let you know that uh, I don't think Bill Blair ever designed uh, the border crossing uh, land border. It was not a loophole. I mean, it was wide open right from the beginning. Where mm. there is a loophole is there's a misunderstanding for Canadians. Those four major airports across the country where you have to go to a hotel, those are only for scheduled airline flights. Rich people are flying into London, Ontario, Hamilton, Kitchener, Regina, Saskatoon in private planes. They clear oh. customs, and who knows what happens after that. Oh, really? Interesting. Len, you've heard of that? Actually, I did. I have a client who was actually going to fly privately from Palm Springs back to Calgary, and then all of a sudden the airline said, no, this is private. They said, you're going to have to do the hotel quarantine. So he flew into Bellingham. And I was his taxi driver. I drove him up <laughs> to the Peacharge Park, and he walked north. Oh, man. Okay. Dan in Surrey. Hey, Dan. How are you doing, Mike? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I, I, I've done three 14 days last year, two with business and one for my son getting married down in Washington State. Uh -huh. um, and those are very expensive for the companies. For, you know, and it's hard to actually get a business exemption because I was down for business. But because, as a Canadian, I, I don't have a green card. I'm going down as a supervisor for some uh, installations, but because I'm not actually doing the work, I can't yeah. classify myself as business. But I'm mm. actually, Mike, what I'm really missing so far with the borders being closed is my cheap gas, my cheap <laughs> dairy products, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to saving a couple hundred dollars a month simply by going 10 minutes south and getting my gas. No, I hear you, Dan. Thank you for the call. A lot of people looking forward to the border being reopened. Kevin in Surrey. We just got a minute here. Kevin, go ahead. Hey, I'm just calling. Um, I have an enhanced driver's license, and I got a letter from ICBC stating they're taking away all the enhanced driver's license. So when you renew your license, an extra 50 bucks, you could just pay to get your license and just drive across with your license. Okay, I is can that no the, longer do that. Is that correct, Len? Got 30 seconds. Um, what, what I have heard, Mike, and this is interesting, there's a problem right now with Nexus between Canada and the U.S. I've been told the Nexus program is probably going to be shutting down, and there's going to be wow. something else coming out. So I wouldn't doubt if these enhanced driver's licenses are also going to be a victim of COVID with the lack of cooperation between the two uh, countries right now. Interesting. Len, thanks for coming on today.
Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. All right. Welcome back to the show. We've got clear and sunny skies in Vancouver and Victoria today. Maybe that's got you thinking about the summertime and some of the new toys you might want to play with. Our show contributor, John Jang, now brings us this inventory report and how you might want to act fast. John. Good morning, Mike. We're exactly one month away from the beginning of summer, but that doesn't mean you should put off picking up some new summer toys if you're thinking about ways to have fun this year. Things like hot tubs or boats, barbecues, bikes... They're all hot commodities in this region of the world, and for good reason. There are ways that you can take advantage of the great weather and still safely have some fun outdoors. With that in mind, I spoke with Mary Bays earlier this morning, owner of Western Canoe Kayak in Abbotsford, about the increased demand for boats this summer. We have, for sure. Yeah, big increase. Yeah, would you say that a lot of the people that are coming into the store and buying right now, um, is it is it kind of a mix of people that are experienced and have been doing this for years, but you're also seeing an increased number of people maybe doing it for the first time and realizing, if I'm going to be out there in the summer, social distancing and all that, one of the safest things you can do is get out on the water. Well, it's one of the safest things you can do, but there's still certain cautions that people should take. And uh, if you're new to paddling, we definitely recommend uh, taking lessons. And there are places where you can do that, and we always, you know, suggest that. There's certain safety gear that you are required to have. Uh, We also explain that to all of our customers. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Safety is definitely still top of mind for everybody. And that's why, you know, when you go and buy a canoe, a kayak or anything related to getting out on the water, of course, you want to think about all the safety equipment like a life jacket or any kind of flotation device, because you don't want to put yourself in a uh, in a, you know, scary situation out there on the water. Yeah, I'm trying to keep those search and rescue people from having to go out. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's a good point because we do hear and cover stories on ZKNW all the time. Uh, we get in contact with like North Shore Rescue, people having to get helped. And look, it's what they do for a living. But anytime we can make yeah. their jobs easier, it's <laughs> it's, it's sure. good for everybody. But, you know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, Mary, you know, have you noticed then like because of the pandemic, there's more people just simply interested and maybe some people come into the store, they're not even necessarily looking to buy that day, but they're asking questions and wanting to learn more about what this is all about. Um, Yeah, and a lot of them have friends. Uh, I have a lot of uh, customers who uh, are members of Dragon Boat paddling teams, Mm. uh, outrigger teams that have been restricted from getting out on the water and they just come into the store and they say, I have to get back on the water, sell me something. Right. And plus we have people who have thought about it for years, but this not being able to leave home is like the final push. So let's get out and do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it's it's fun. It's a great outdoor activity to uh, keep up your exercise uh, activities and levels and things like that. And would you say that maybe the tip right now for anyone listening is to not hesitate because once summer officially arrives, you might find yourself having to wait even longer than you anticipated because the inventory might not be uh, as in stock as maybe they would like it to be. Right. Well, you have to be uh, a little bit flexible on which model you settle for. Like we have a really good inventory, um, but I may not have exactly the boat that your friend has that he really likes. So it is best to shop early. Um, We are taking pre-orders. Uh, from a lot of customers um, waiting for products to come in. So that can be done as well. Um, But in general, we pretty much, if you come to our store, you can leave with a boat. 
love it. As long as you got uh, room, maybe you got like a nice truck to fit it all in. Uh, you got to think a little bit ahead, of course, when you're uh, purchasing yeah. something like that. Uh, but with that in mind, Mary, what's the website that people can come and check out your store, the inventory? And if they have questions, you know, they can find a way to get in contact with you. Yeah, it's westerncanoekayak.com. And if they have questions, we welcome. There's my phone ringing here. You can probably hear it in the background. <laughs> um, they can phone 604 853-9320. And we love talking to customers. There's no such thing as a silly question. People always start off, I know this is a dumb question, but no, there's no such thing as a, as a silly question. Amazing. So. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, right now we're all just trying to do our part to bend that curve. And if you can do it in a safe and fun manner, hey, that's yeah. winning for everybody. Mary, yeah. I appreciate you giving us a few minutes to talk about this today. I appreciate the, uh, the extra coverage. <laughs> And hers isn't the only business noticing a big increase in sales. Harold Ahn, co-owner of Whitehall Rowing and Sail on Vancouver Island, also confirmed that his business has been booming. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a big demand. We, we market pretty much internationally, and so we're stretched right across North America and, and Europe, and we're getting right across the board an increase in, uh, in interest and in sales. Uh, we're pretty much double over last year. Harold, would you say the advice right now is to act fast because if somebody's waiting until summer actually arrives, they might have to wait even longer because the supply might not keep up with the demand. Well, it's true. And interestingly enough, like we, we have actually three lines of products, the, the very high-end uh, rowing boats that we do, and then we do a middle line of rowing boats that are copolymer co plastic. And that freeze in Texas actually uh, knocked out the suppliers for the resin, which uh, we make those boats out of. And we're actually hoping to get our, our first shipment in this week, which has thrown production back by, oh, in some cases, up to a month or even two months. But uh, the other two lines that we do are, are okay. But a lot of manufacturers are hitting supply line problems right now. So if you're thinking about having some fun this summer, act fast. Back to you, Mike. All right, John, thank you for that. Some good advice there with some hot items uh, people are seeking out for the summertime and there's a lot of them here john that a lot of people are snapping up so how about like uh bicycles i heard there are bikes uh, there's a bike uh, shortage is that true yeah yeah absolutely i mean bikes are obviously uh, very easy to get around vancouver i mean hey those bike lanes are always in the news right mike so uh, obviously people are seemingly interested in them uh, according to our show producer sarah hyde in our conversations this morning she says for children's bikes there's apparently like a two-month wait if you're trying to get your hands on that so i actually didn't know that personal fact my thanks to sarah for that one okay how about new barbecues i'm in the market for a barbecue myself and i've heard barbecues are a hot item too Absolutely. I spoke with the owner of the Vancouver Barbecue Store, uh, Nash Shivji, and he was telling me, uh, boy, these things have been hot, pardon the pun. Uh, but people, you know, since you can't really eat inside restaurants and you're kind of confined to patio spaces, why not just create your own backyard patio and get a barbecue? And that's what a lot of people have been doing. So if you're also thinking about grilling up some shrimp and, and whatever, steaks, chicken, you got it, uh, do so quickly because you're going to find that the wait list is getting longer. Okay, yeah, I'm taking. I got my eye on a Napoleon barbecue made in Canada. I'm digging oh. it, man. It's, oh. it's looking good, so I'm ready. I'm just about ready to pull the trigger on that. But I'll tell you, I was at, I was at a barbecue store in Victoria a few weeks ago, and yeah, they were in uh, they were in pretty tight supply as well. How about uh, boat rentals? Boat rentals that picking up? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for boats, uh, so I'm using this term, but it also includes things like kayaks, canoes, stand-up paddle boards. Uh, certainly here in Vancouver, having a conversation with uh, Vancouver uh, Adventure Water Adventures uh, earlier this morning, they just kind of relayed to me very quickly. Like, we don't have a lot of time for interviews this morning because, you guessed it, they're busy. They're too busy. If yeah. Are, <laughs> yeah, if you are interested in doing some of those rentals, though, I would always recommend you keep an eye out for coupons. There's a lot of Ooh. online coupons that they like to offer to the public in case it's something that you've never tried before and uh, want to give it a little sample. Okay, camping, of course, another super popular activity. You've got to have your act together here to make sure you book the campsite that you want online. Uh, What's that looking like right now? tough, Mike. I've been trying to get my own camping spot here for a couple of days now, and I try to wake up as early as possible. 7 a.m. is when the daily reservations open, because right now you can only book two months in advance, and they are snapped up almost instantly. So my tip for anyone trying to get their hands on a campsite uh, through the reservation is to, again, uh, just keep your phone on like an alarm or a reminder and bookmark that site and have your login information ready to go because it is gone super quickly it's very wow right now. oh yeah two months in advance so right now late may so we're looking at a prime time right for exactly. summer bookings right right so and, you gotta... and especially even during the week it work weekdays it doesn't matter they're all booked up at the moment oh yeah well people are like you know people are so skilled at these things i mean people have got this figured out i mean they're experts on booking campsites online now so yeah you have got to have your act together. You got to be up early, you know, cat, you know, credit card in your hand, ready to rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to get to be ready to go. Okay, some good tips there, John. Thank you.